From the Oxano Podcast Network, welcome to My Ministry Breakthrough, hosted by me, Brian Rose. This podcast is all about pastors sharing unfiltered stories of moments large and small, of times when the fog of ministry chaos clears and breakthrough clarity happens. We had $10 million debt on a $1.3 million budget. Still blows my mind. Still can't fathom Yeah, and... But I just kept saying, we, we're never going to, because they had been tapped out. The 380 people there had been tapped out. They had nothing left to give outside of their tithe. Yeah. Um, they had you know, sold the boat, whatever else they had been yeah. encouraged to do. And so I just kept saying, you know what? We're never going to outgive this step. We have to outgrow this step. How could you lead a church to be effective in its mission without any resources to speak of? I'm talking less than 5% of the budget to use for actual ministry work. How would you react if you were the senior pastor of a church carrying a debt load that is almost 10 times the annual giving? What would you do if you had a new building with lots of land in a growing area and about a thousand empty seats during each of your two worship services every Sunday, but no small group space? Now imagine this was not a leadership situation that you incurred, you know, a place you led the church to, but imagine for a moment that this was a leadership situation you inherited, a place you willingly chose to step in. My guest in this episode of My Ministry Breakthrough is Chad Keck. Chad has been the senior pastor of First Baptist Church, Kettering, Ohio, just outside of Dayton for almost eight years. And yes, Chad stepped into what most of the rest of us probably every one of us would choose to step out of or step away from. Chad knew when he took this pastorate that the church was massively in debt, massively overbuilt, and massively inward focused. Spoiler alert here, eight years later, a church that couldn't even swing 100 extra dollars for a directional sign just gave more than $100,000 to missions last Christmas. This is a story of revitalization And the one strategy, the one technique that Chad used to lead this God-empowered turnaround at First Baptist. You may be surprised at how unsurprising the path toward revitalization may just be. So lean in and listen up to Chad Keck, Senior Pastor at First Baptist Church, Kettering, Ohio. You're the Senior Pastor, First Baptist Church, Kettering, Ohio, correct? That is correct. Where is Kettering? Kettering is just a little bit southeast of Dayton, Ohio. So okay. uh, Dayton is right in between Cincinnati and Columbus. We're about an yeah. hour from each one. So uh, we're home to a large um, Air Force base, uh, Wright-Patterson Air Force Base. So we have a lot of airmen. Uh, Probably the through. most famous Air Force base, isn't it? I mean, it's one of the biggest. Andrews would maybe be the most famous. Yes, but, yeah. we hold we host the uh, Air Force Museum okay. there. So people come from all around the world to see the planes and— uh, and right now they're real big on cybersecurity, which is a real big emphasis. Yeah. People raising their families there, great school system, great area. Our church doesn't just reach Kettering, it reaches into several other little um, towns and cities near there, Centerville, Beaver Creek, Sugar Creek, um, okay. some other little places. So we're kind of more of a regional church than a... Yeah, yeah. give us a snapshot of the church in, in, in three minutes or so. Just. Yeah, the church, I've been there eight years, but about 11 or 12 years ago, the church actually relocated out of the city proper of Kettering and bought 75 acres of land, um, about 75 acres. 75 acres. Wow. Yeah. It, it was a huge vision. Yeah. And yeah. I'm all for huge vision, but yeah. man, you can sometimes outvision your vision and they may have done that. You can outvision your vision. <laughs> I get you. I get you. Because I don't like the whole get ahead of God phrase, like that kind yeah. of uh, denies, I think, a central part of who God is to think that you might be ahead of. But I think outvisioning your vision is a good way to put that, right? Yeah, they they did, and I I love that. I would rather be at a church where they have a big vision that may be a little bit too big than to be at a place with no vision. So yeah, I'd rather have to yeah. pull them back than to push them forward. Have you been in? You've been in both, then I guess. Yeah, I've served in both. This is my first senior pastorate, but I've okay. been on church staffs, and I grew up in some churches that I, I yeah. wish had had bigger visions. Yeah. So yeah. so you've been there eight years. Been there eight years. Church has been on this new property for eleven or twelve, 11 somewhere or 12 there. Years. Yeah. So I came uh, right, really at a 
crossroads for the church. They had moved into the new facility. They owed $10 million in debt on a $1.3 million budget. Okay, whoa, whoa. Yeah. $10 million in debt. $10 million in debt, $1.3 million budget. So how did that How did that budget break down, that 1.3 percentage-wise, roughly? About 60% was mortgage payment. Debt service. Debt service. 60%. 60%. I think Dave Ramsey would have a little bit of a challenge with that. We all were having a little challenge <laughs> with that at the time. So um, 60% debt service. Uh, probably 35%, 30% personnel, okay. another 10 or 12, 15% in, you know, obviously keeping the building up and insurance. Okay. And so I think you're, I think you're at 105%. Just right about, now. and I think there was like less than three or 4% that we were actually spending on doing ministry, like missions giving or youth budget or yeah. those type of things. So about three, less than 5% of your overall total the budget. overall budget was going to actually doing actually ministry. ministry. I always told the people there, I said, it's like we were running a McDonald's chain, but we can't afford to put meat on the hamburgers. It's mm-hmm. like, it, you know, if you're running a burger joint, you would think that the burger would be your main priority, but we don't have any money to actually do make burgers. We're, mm-hmm. we're too busy having a facility and then paying people to work but we don't have any money to do anything uh, or give or give to anything. So, so you stepped into that role in that moment, right? I did. In a church that, I mean, for all intents and purposes, couldn't, couldn't pay the bills. There, when I got there, and I'll never forget the first week or so I got there, you know, we're taking in the offerings and, you know, I don't have to do this anymore, thank God. But uh, the first couple of weeks, it was literally on Monday morning, how much came in the offering? How much came in the offering? I would go into the finance office and, and you know, praise to God, there was never a day that we didn't get enough to pay the bills. Um, but there was often times where, you, you know, you wondered how we were going to pay them the next week, you know? So how do you do ministry in that context? I mean, what does that look like as far as your staff? I mean, everybody, you had staff, but they really didn't have any we had staff and we, you know, we were trying to minister to people, yeah. but we were having to do it without really any resources, which, I mean, hindsight, I, I wouldn't wish that on anybody, but we learned a lot out of that. Like we, learned, we learned that it's about relationships with people. We learned that, you know, going to visit somebody in the hospital and caring about them didn't cost you anything. Um, you didn't have to spend a thousand dollars to go do those kind of things. Yeah. We learned that just having a fellowship meal with people bringing in food, you know, they didn't cost you anything. Like a potluck. Yeah. How, you know, and, and there's just a lot of things you can actually do without spending a lot of money. So one of the things that we did is like, we don't have any money to go do anything, but what if we just spent time in prayer? You know, maybe that's something we should be doing anyway. Right. I mean, it kind of <laughs> seems obvious the church should be a praying church. But we we started really emphasizing prayer because like we couldn't afford anything. to do anything else. It didn't cost anything more to open the door. Right, and pray, so the right? building was already being heated and cooled. Uh, we were like, well, we could probably afford to turn the lights on, but we'll just pray. And so we spent a lot of time in prayer. We incorporated prayer back into our Sunday morning services where there was a concentrated time of prayer, and it wasn't just a like, transition time or before the offering. Time. Okay, yeah, I was gonna say, like, what do you mean? Because for the most part, I think we would all say. Well, we pray or we have the prayer room with a special lock on the outside. Yeah, or, and we had all those things, things too. Yeah. But I, I just said to our, our worship team when we were getting ready to start planning services, I said, I want five to eight minutes of every service. So, I mean, when you're talking about a 70-minute service, that's a fairly decent amount of time. Yeah. But I, I want five to eight minutes every Sunday where it just says prayer. And I'm going to get up and I'm going to invite our people to pray. Five to eight minutes of the service. Yeah, it's at least five. Sometimes it stretches to seven or eight. Does that get awkwardly long at times? Or, I mean, what is that? Not now. Okay. Uh, sure, at first it did because, <laughs> you know, the people are not used to that, you know. Yeah, what was that like, those first few? What were you guys doing? What was the practice there? So I get up every Sunday. I still do this. I get up and I say, you know, um, the scripture says that, that we need to have a house of prayer, right? And mm-hmm. we need to have a house of prayer for all nations. We need to be a, a people that are, are praying, that are engaging, and that uh, prayer is one of the ways that we connect with God. And so and we're going to, and I always say, we're going to open the word in a little bit. We've sung a little bit, but I really want this to be an important part of our time. You know, this is not a transition. This is, we're it's doing not to get this. the musicians off the stage. Yeah, no, they stay Change up there. Change the capo yeah. on the guitar. Yeah, this is an emphasis. And so yeah. uh, I invite them to come to the altar. I say, I'm going to kneel right down here at the altar at the steps. And I invite anybody who would like to, uh, but I always try to make it real comfortable. I say, you can sit where you are, stand where you are, kneel where you are. 
you can come down front. Uh, the most important thing is not the position of your body, but the, the position of your heart before the Lord. So mm-hmm. I just try to prepare them. And then I usually give about a minute of that, five to seven minutes of, of silence where I kind of let them pray and say, we're going to let you pray, lift up your needs before the Lord, whatever's on your heart. And then, then I just lead them. And we pray for all sorts of things. We pray for uh, other churches in our city. We try to emphasize, hey, we're not in this by ourselves. We're a part mm-hmm. of a bigger, uh, you know, the gospel's bigger than us. We, we pray for missionaries. Uh, we pray for government leaders. Pray for missionaries by name? By name. We have yeah. some in our church. Okay. Um, and then at certain other times when there's some certain prayer emphasis come through our denomination for certain things, we'll lift up individuals by name. But we always lift up, try to lift up other churches okay. um, and, and government leaders because the scripture commands us to pray for those in yep. positions of authority. So we pray often for the government. We, pray, we have a lot, I mentioned before, we have a lot of military. So we pray often for our military. Um, if I know of certain needs in the church, certain people that are going through difficult times, I, I can single those out and lift those up. We pray for people to come to faith in Christ. We pray for revival. We pray for, we have two services, so I'm always praying for the people in the other part of the building that are, because I want to remind, you know, uh, the people who are in worship that, hey, there is Bible study happening around the other parts of the building, that there's kids ministry happening, you know, even though they may look around and not see every face that there are, uh, that we're way bigger than they may think that we are Mm -hmm. at the time. So just things like that. And then if there's something going on in our world that is, um, you know, made the news, um, whether it was a tsunami on the other part of the globe or something happening with the shutdown in Washington, just think whatever's going on in the news, I try to remember to pray for some of those issues. Yeah, I imagine in that shutdown season, there was a lot of folks affected in your area. We had some, yeah, thankfully the military was funded, but we had some, you know, district attorneys and some others that worked for the Justice Department and some other things that they weren't getting paid. And that was difficult and we wanted to pray for them. So how do you decide what's going to make that prayer time? I mean, do you, how much preparation do you do? For that, like, well, I, I mean, I don't want to say that I, I don't sit down and write it out and yeah, do yeah. thirty minutes of prep on it, but I certainly um, that more. I get to my office super early on Sunday morning, um, you know, three hours or so before the first service starts, just to do the message. Then, right? Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> you got to start in the sermon go, at some point. Go through the old files and see which That's one. Right, see which one will work for that day. <laughs> no, mostly just to pray in okay. my office uh, to certainly go back through my notes and to think yeah. about it and to just ask the Lord, is there any changes you want me to make right here? And yeah. um, so I'll tweak, sometimes I'll tweak it a tiny bit. Um, but my, things like prayer, things like I walk through the order of service just in my mind so that I'm not having to constantly stand up there looking at an order of service. I kind of know what we're doing, yeah. Yeah. Uh, what songs we're singing. Oftentimes I'll put them on Spotify and be listening to the songs that I know we're going to be doing so that I can get my heart ready. Yeah. Um, but but prayer time is one of those things I start to think about in the time. Are there any, what are the specific needs for today? What are the things I want to lift up? Do you make notes during the week to keep to keep that for Sunday? Um, you just kind of count on the Holy Spirit on Sunday morning? I do. I, you know, I, certainly we pray. Our, I mean, another thing that we did was we implemented a Thursday morning uh, pastoral staff prayer time. So every Thursday morning at um, 930, the pastors gather in the worship center. We spend an hour in prayer together. Okay. And so a lot of the things that end up in the Sunday morning prayer are needs that came out of the Thursday time. So, you know, we'll sit around and I'll, we'll go through each guy and he'll say, what, I'll say, what's, what are the prayer needs in your ministry area? And they may name three or four people that are struggling with something or, yeah. or praise. And junior high guy wants to pray for the neighbor's cat. Yes. All the time, yeah. you know, <laughs> so, um, worship guy, you know, needs a, needs a new microphone or, you know, there's always something. Jeans are feeling a little loose. Jeans, yeah. I've got to get this tighter, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But that's where I get a lot of the things because that's where I find out what's really on the heart of some of the things that are happening in right, the church. Right. And then what, I mean, what kind of difference, and I hate to hate to make it sound so baseline like that, but what kind of difference has that made that prayer time uh, for you sitting in your chair as a senior leader that you can kind of go, yeah, I can go back to this, 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 this. And I mean, when you look back at the prayer time and saying, hey, this is, this is some changes or this is some things we've felt because we do this, we know this. I would say the biggest change was turning the mentality of the church from what can we do to what can God do? Because when you, you know, when you're faced with a lot of problems, yeah. it's so easy to just look internally. And, and there was a lot of that going on, a lot of finger pointing. We wouldn't be in this position if that group of people hadn't done this. You mean the financial piece. Financial yeah, piece. Yeah, yeah. The, the facility was so big and, you know, we weren't filling it up. How many square feet do you guys have? I don't even know. It's been, it really? was big. You can land a plane in your lobby. You can land a plane in the lobby. And we the worship center seats about 
you can put about 1150 in there. Um, and when I got there, they were running less than 400. So you've got so and doing two services. So there was like 200 or 175 in a worship center that seats over a thousand. Somebody was really watched the field of dreams and was like, guys, we got to build it. Yes. If we build it. They will come. And the, and the sanctuary and the lobby were immensely larger than our capacity to do small groups in the space. So they built giant worship space and not very much Sunday school space. Okay. So you guys have a Sunday morning model for your groups? We do. Well, we have both. We have off-campus and on-campus, but on-campus is still the larger of the two. Yeah, And that's just kind of capturing the moment while people are already there, right? Right. A lot of it was, you know, that was the model the church was built on, and it was ingrained, and there was part of the DNA, and and it wasn't broken. So I didn't need to go in and fix it. We wanted to add small groups as a supplement um, to give people an option, um, but it wasn't to try to replace it at all. Yeah. That's not part of the vision. So there's so there's a couple hundred people in a in a sanctuary that could seat 1,200, 1,100. 1,100. Mm-hmm. And so it kind of felt cavernous. Did you, what, I mean, did you go back to one service or did you? No, because they had just moved to two different styles of service okay. before I got there. Um, and so I didn't really want to mess with that. And Was we the didn't early have. service the contemporary service? No. Oh, good. Okay. Yeah. Good. <laughs> but honestly, how many, times, how many times is it the early service, the contemporary service? Yeah, like, I always I shake my head at that. Yeah, yeah, I shake my head at that. But we couldn't actually do it not only for service uh, style, but also because the Sunday school space. We right. would need. We already were doing three Sunday schools um, in uh, that, so that yeah. tells you how disproportionate the worship center space was to yeah. the other space. So we couldn't. We couldn't do, we couldn't one do hour. it. Yeah. No, it was impossible. That third hour. Yeah. Yeah. So let's make So how did prayer, I guess, come back around the prayer? So what the prayer time really did uh, for us was help us to remind, be reminded that, you know what? God is bigger than all of this. And if we're trying to come up with our own solutions and we're trying to, to do this in our own strength yeah. and we're trying to get out there and grow this thing in our own power, it's going to be an utter failure. But what we need to do is say, say to God, look, we know that you're big and we know that none of this has caught you off guard. None of these problems have surprised you one bit. Um, that we, we still believe that when you led this church out to the 75 acres some years ago, that they followed you and that this is right where you want us. And so what is it, God, that you want to teach us while we're here in this kind of wandering land of that's not a, knowing what to do? But it really turned off focus. Challenge, though, yeah. right? I mean, that's a tough theological place to be where it's like, hey, we've got more property than we need. We've got much more building than we need. In some places. In some places, yeah. right? We've got right. a ton of hall- Your hallways are 30 feet wide. Yeah, it's, it's, it's not a, even exaggerating. It's and a nice yeah. facility. Yeah, it's a great facility. I, I loved seeing it and being a part of it. So, But but the point is, is that like, okay, you got more land than you need, more buildings than you need, more debt than you need, yeah. but yet God still has us here. But we have a God that's bigger than all of those things. Yes. And, you so know, what do you, why do you think God, uh, you know, and I know this is a horrible question, but, you know, Looking back now, what was it that God used in that time? Why, you, know, you can say, why did God allow that maybe? Uh, but really, I think the, the healthier question in retrospect is, you, you have the why did God allow this in the moment. Sure. But when you can look back on it beyond the moment, you probably say, hey, what did God do in that season? What was it that forced dependency on him? Or Yeah, I think that there was some that had the mentality, and I just say some because I know there's a lot of godly people that didn't have this mentality, but I believe that there may have been some ideas of if we build it, they will come. Yeah. We're going to relocate. We're going to get this giant property. We're going to build this giant worship center. Back then, that was the model, right? Right. Build a big building and people show up. Right, and I think that there was some of that mentality. And so when that didn't happen or when it happened and then it declined because it was the new had worn off and all of that. I think that then you're forced to look around and you're forced to say, Hey, you know what? That's not how you actually reach people. That's not how you disciple people. That's not how we go and do the great commission. The the great commission never commences to go and build buildings. It tells us to go and make disciples. Mm -hmm. And I think that somewhere in that transition from the other property to where we are now, that got lost is that it's, 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 it has to be an outward focus. And I think somewhere it got turned inward and it became about the problems that we have here and the debt that we have here and the, why people can't get along here and what kind of worship style we're going to do here and yeah. all of those things. And I think what God did through the prayer time in midst of that difficult time was 
to remind us that he's big and that our focus had to be outward. Mm. That we we couldn't simply look around and be worried about you know what was going on in here. We had to be worried about the the thousands and thousands of people that lived within a mile or two radius of that building who did not know Christ. And if they were to die that day, they would spend eternity separated from him. And and until that becomes what your focus is of, of not who's here but who's not here, mm-hmm. uh, I think you're gonna we were gonna be stuck in that in that time. And I think what God did through that prayer time is help to remind us. Um, by praying for other churches, by praying for military leaders, by praying for things in our community, was reminding them that we are just one small dot on a map in, in a sea of people that need to know Jesus, who are hurting, mm. who are suffering from drug addiction, yeah. from marital failure, from kids' rebellion, from you know academic problems at school, all kinds yeah, of stuff. Yeah. And, and we needed to be a, a light to them, a place of hope for them, instead of being worried about what we were doing with each other. What do you think happened in the life of your people in that season? I think God got a hold of them in a lot of ways. Um, in, you know, in, some specific stories or moments that. Well, you know. one of the stories that I love, I love the most is, and I think we shared this when you guys were out with us. Is we had this young girl. Uh, she was in her twenties at the time, and she lived next door to a senior adult couple. And uh, one day, uh, her dog got out. She loved dogs. She had a dog. It got out and it bit the lady, the lady who goes to our church, the senior adult lady. Now, I don't know about you, but if this is at my house and some of my neighbor's dog bit my, me or my wife or my child, I'd not really be that happy about that. Yeah, it's, it's going um, be a this, hard conversation. Right, because I'm turning inward and I'm thinking about yeah, all the problems yeah. associated with that and why you should have had her on a leash and yeah, all that stuff. Yeah. But this dear saint who goes to our church, didn't lose her cool, didn't lose her patience, and instead invited this girl to church. I mean, here's this lady in her upper 70s, early 80s, inviting this 22-year-old single girl to come to her church. And I don't know if she just felt guilty because she's like, well, I hope this lady doesn't sue me uh, because if my dog bit her, I'll go to church. She'd say yes to anything. Right, anything to befriend this lady, right? So she comes, and then she comes again. And then she comes again yeah, yeah. and and she gets saved and we wow. baptize her. And then she meets a guy who's going to our church. They get married. And it's just this, to me, it was just this beautiful picture of what it means to really connect with your neighbor, to love your neighbor, to invite your neighbor, to yeah, engage yeah. with your neighbor on things like that. And, and that was just all kind of a microcosm of things that were happening all over the place. Just little stories of how, Families were being invited or connected to Christ in certain ways through yeah. people in our church who were starting to not look at the church as the facility as the problem, but to see their neighbor as the opportunity to to engage with gospel conversations. It kind of it kind of feels like a shame on some levels that you had to be struggling with all these other things in order to come back to what mattered the most, right? Like 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 oh, why didn't we just you know? And not that it would have been the solution, but. It's good to hear that you guys have continued in that prayer time. It wasn't just because finances were were tough and some of those things, but you guys have kept that as a part of the we DNA. have. And I, you know, as long as I'm the pastor, we're not going to stop doing that. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, and to be fair, I I came into that. I came yeah. into the low point. And so, what was it about like when you looked at the the numbers and all that? You're like, yeah, I. I I'm, oh, I'm in. Or man. maybe you didn't look at the numbers, Chad. Maybe, I did. Maybe you should have thought I twice. did, and I had a lot of people that told yeah. me I was foolish to yeah. go and do that. But what did God use to confirm, like, no, this is exactly where I want you? You know, the, it's funny looking back. I would, If I was counseling any young guy that was had that opportunity, I'd say, don't, I would say don't do Even it. Even today? Looking at the externals, yeah, the externals, I was, oh, man, don't do that. Yeah. Like, even the search committee was not— super unified around me. Oh, really? Um, and so there's just... You could tell they were like half in and half out on Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I felt like I kind of maybe got into the bottom of the barrel and, you know, I don't know. Well, there's always Chad. Yeah, but even then, there was a lot of dissension and I we I went to one of the Q&A times yeah, when they were yeah. presenting me and there was like arguments going on in the Q&A time between church members about things that didn't even relate to me. You know, but it were, you could just see the dissension and frustration and I remember walking out of that meeting, my wife said, there is no way we are coming here. There is no way we are coming here. And I didn't give her an answer because at the time, I think I was still a little bit shocked. But 
I, I remember we went back to the room and God just kept saying, this is where you're supposed to be. This yeah. is where I'm calling you to be. And I, I, I remember sitting down with her and I said, hon, you know, I don't know. I don't know why I agree with everything in your assessment. You are spot on. Our wives usually can see it crystal clear. Yeah. And she did. She saw every problem and probably some that I didn't see. And yet at the end of that, she just was so godly and just said, hey, if this, if this is what God's calling us to do, then we need to do it. We've identified all the problems, but, you know, God is bigger than all of these. Yeah. And, and we just sense that that's where God was calling us to go. And so there we were. <laughs> what, did, what did he use to confirm that? Was there anything, a conversation? Was there anybody or any moment or any place where it was that confirmation? Or was it just that still small voice, that whisper? It was that small voice, that whisper, just of this is where you're supposed to be. And, you know, there's no church that I'm not big enough to revive. If you're counting on your own gifts and abilities, then you should not come here because you can't do this. Yeah. And so that was really a big one for me. It's like, I don't want, I never wanted to go to a place where I just thought, oh, I can do this. Yeah. It was going to be my first senior pastor. I was 35. Yeah. I was walking into a big mess. I mean, you know, you'd had a lot of experience in dealing with the sure. financial. Yeah, I, yeah. I know 10 million on a lot of other projects. Yeah, um, yeah. Not really. Um, but I just think, you know, I wanted to, I wanted to go to a place where it was going to have to be God. I didn't, I don't know that in my mind I wanted to be in that big of a hole. I kind of wanted to play it safe. Like, I need you, God, but if just in case I can kind of cover it. Yeah. But in this situation, I, I just knew that it was going to have to be all God because if it was me, we were going to be in a world of trouble. Yeah. But that was great. I think that's one of the reasons why it got turned around is because, you know, I knew God had to show you up. Didn't think you could turn it around. Right. I knew I, knew I couldn't turn it around. It was yeah. a disaster. I mean, um, but the people, but I could tell in the people, like, you know, yeah, there was some dissension, but the, some of the people were some of the most godly people that I'd ever met. And I yeah. could just tell they loved their church and they wanted to reach the community. And, you know, when you get a group, however small, the people that are like that, that they'll do anything. They'll give whatever it takes. They'll do whatever it takes. Man, you, you got to work with those kind of people. Yeah. And I just saw enough of those people in my conversations and in the churches all that I said, man, God is not done here. He's given them a big vision. He's given them a nice facility and large, <laughs> we got to pay it off. But we had all of the research. We were in a community that needed Jesus. Um, there was not really a lot of other strong churches that were, yeah, I felt yeah. were knocking it out of the park. Um, so I, looking at all those things, there's just that small, small whisper of the spirit saying, you, this is where you're supposed to go. So those first few years of ministry, pretty tough, huh? First year was really tricky. Um, is there a moment from the first year that stands out in your mind? There were several moments, um, but mostly... Any you want to share publicly? Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, that's tricky. There were several situations where it required me to really be a leader. Um, yeah. Really, at a What do you mean? I mean, I, I think we all took a semester of leadership in seminary, right? So right. What do you mean? So we had an issue with a staff person okay. that needed to be dealt with. And I think in the past, one of the things that I think is important in leadership is you really have to understand the past of what's happened in that church. Yeah, why? I think in the past, there had been some issues with some staff people that had never been really dealt with. Or if they had been dealt with, the real truth had never been told. It was kind of like, oh, so-and-so's gone. Uh, we don't know really yeah. what happened here. And, yeah. and so that's when rumor and innuendo. And, and they're pursuing other opportunities. Yeah, things like that. Yeah. We're like taking a head on, hey, you know, not with the salacious details, but just being very straightforward. Right. Hey, listen, there's been an issue and we're dealing with the Right. Issue. So the first thing was, because I got a lot of this in the interview session that I had with them before I came. It's like, we want, we want to make sure you're going to, you know, and this is how you know you got problems. Are you going to abide by the bylaws? When you get that question, <laughs> you know there's problems uh, underground somewhere. Yeah. Um, but of course, are you going to abide by? Are you going to abide by the law? But as I think in the past, there were some yeah. some issues where they had not really been transparent and done. Like things. you're going to go, nah. I mean, we'll right? See. I think it was the same. Yeah, of course I am. But but I remember thinking about that when the issue came up because I remember thinking the first thing I need to do is, is what do the bylaws say here? Yeah. Because I, I thought number one I want to be truthful. Yeah. I said I was going to do it by the bylaws and by golly I'm going to do it that way. So I remember looking it up and figuring out all right what is the procedure for dealing with with the staff issue, and then I also framed that within the context of what does the Bible say yeah, yeah. about dealing with problems in yeah. Matthew 18 and yeah, so forth. Yeah. So. Um, 
I remember getting with our leadership team that was responsible for dealing with that and laying out the problem and really letting them work through it with me and yeah. giving me guidance and trying to come out from a very, I was real, I knew what the right thing to do was, but I wanted to, them to come to the right thing. Cause I'm thinking, I don't have any credibility. I've been here less than a year. I have no, yeah. I have little credibility other than positional authority as the pastor, which. Which that, that's always a great card to play. It is, but I'm man, pastor. you can only play that so many times <laughs> yeah, right. before people are like, well, we don't care who you are because that's not what we want to do. Yeah. So you have to get buy-in. And so just working through that process um, with them. And, and then once we came to the conclusion that we needed to part ways with this person um, because of some things, I went before the church. I remember calling a special meeting. I said, tonight, uh, some of you have heard that we've let so-and-so go. Tonight at five o'clock, I, w- I want to invite everybody, church-wide family meeting. Yeah, yeah. And, and I'm going to, and we're going to talk about it. And we're going to talk about what happened. We're going to talk about the ramifications of it. We're going to talk about why we needed to do this. And I brought every person who was part of that decision, the personnel team. At the time, there was a, a group called the Visionary Council, which served kind of as a elder deacon type group and brought them forward and sat them up there with sat you. them up there with me. I let some of them share. Um, and and I, I'll never forget. I, I love thinking and this person had been on staff a long time, yeah. way longer than my one year. And it was deeply loved. It had done some really tremendous things yeah. um, before that that yeah, period. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I remember being at the end of that, and I'm thinking, number one, I'm just glad to be done with that. But I had so many people that actually came up to me after that meeting and said, number one, thank you for being transparent. Mm. Thank you for dealing with an issue and not brushing it under the rug, pretending like it didn't exist. Um, you know, we we appreciate that. And it was really a really a turning point in my own mind to think, you know, I'm going to do this more often. I'm yeah. going to be very as transparent as I possibly can be. I'm going to be accountable to the leadership that God's put in place here. And then we're not going to we're going to be honest with our people about the good things that are happening, and we're going to be honest about some of the things that hey, this is an issue, and we need to think about this. So it was really a turning point in my own personal leadership. Yeah. Um, and I think in the in the church sometimes we. We think we're going to hurt feelings, or we think we're, you know, oh, there's going to be so many people that leave or get yeah. angry or some of those things. And you know what? There was some of that. I don't want to pretend yeah. that there was not some people that disagreed with the decision. But there was maybe more people watching to see how you were handling it. And you know, that's the key. I think looking back on it, even those people who maybe didn't agree with it at the moment, the decision, they would look back on it now and say, but you handled it right. Yeah. And even if you don't always make the right decision, and I still like, think we made the right decision. Like in their mind. In their mind. Yeah. They would say, hey, you know what? He handled this in a transparent way, in a godly way, in a compassionate way. Uh, and and he was really faithful and honest with us about what was going on and how the decision was made. Yeah. That he didn't make it by himself. That he yeah. took account within the council of others in the church that we had appointed to help and him. And by the bylaws. And by the way that we agreed to do that. Yeah, um, because that's what the bylaws are. They're an yeah. agreement of how we're going to handle things. Yeah. And when you do it that way, you're saying I, I'm putting myself under the authority of you as the congregation mm-hmm. who has decided that this is how we're going to operate. But you've changed the bylaws, right? Yeah, but not that. <laughs> but kidding. not that. I mean, I know. we're still <laughs> congregational, yeah. you know, and we'll always. But you have changed the bylaws. We have changed the bylaws. Yes, <laughs> certain things, but really nothing that would have changed how we handled. Nothing bylaws. would have changed that. Right. But you guys have. I know we've changed the governance structure there. Uh, in some ways, move from a lot of committees, a lot of you know, yes, people to more of an elder focus. Talk about that a little bit. Yeah, when we went through a major um, kind of re refocus or a, a new focus vision vision framework type experience about four years ago, one of the areas along with, with well uh, through the Oxano, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, and that's how we got connected. Yeah, you know, yeah. as, as Brian came out. And, spent six months with us off and on to walk us through this. And we really asked some hard questions about ourselves. We asked some hard questions about where we were going, what we were doing. Yeah. And, and really three things came out of that time. Number one, we, we wanted a vision framework for who we were. What are our, what are our measures? What are our, uh, what's our mission? What are yeah. we about? The DNA. The DNA know, culture yeah. piece. Because I think like in such a push for you guys, just walking alongside you in that journey, if you and I both entered in after all those decisions were made, so much had been put, the vision of the church had been put towards this building and this land and this relocation that really there was a building and there was a people, but there really wasn't any identity apart from that, right? Correct. And the mission had become, how are we going to get out of debt? 
The mission become make budget. Yes. How are we going to pay for this? Yeah. Yeah. That had begun the mission. A functional mission of the church was just survival. Survival. Yeah. 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 And so, you know, that was certainly an important piece to change. We knew we needed to change the culture. We also knew that we needed to uh, do some work on the facility. There were a lot of things about the facility while it was new. They didn't, it, 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 in your words, it looked like a country club. Uh, I think, <laughs> I, think I did. You, did you said that. And you know what? I had not ever thought about that. You guys didn't have the Christian flag out front. Right. But as soon as I took a real good hard look at it, I we were all in agreement. Our team was like, yeah, it does. Yeah. Um, the good news is you can still change that perception by the yeah. people on the inside. Yeah. Yeah. So you can really, yeah. you know, there's a lot of things about a facility you can't change, but there's a lot of things you can by little things. Yeah. And, and by the way, you train people. Yeah. So we really put a focus cost on anything to make a call and get somebody out front. Exactly. It? So we really took, put a lot of emphasis on becoming a more welcoming place. Mm-hmm. And then the third piece was the structure was not conducive to actually accomplishing the mission. Yeah. And so we needed a bylaw change. We had my favorite part of that is we were looking through the um, bylaws and there was 20 committees. And one of them was the baptismal committee. And this committee was responsible for helping each baptismal candidate get back to the changing rooms, you know, um, getting their certificate ready, um, getting the, when they came out, they were wet, giving them towels, mopping the floor, washing the robes and towels. And then at the bottom it said, this committee will rotate every three years. And I, so I'm looking at that and I'm asking people, so why, why would it be important that this committee rotate every three years? If you've got, Five people that love doing this. They love yeah, serving these yeah, people. Yeah. Why would you say, okay, you're out. We need somebody else who likes to wash towels. Yeah. Uh, and everybody's kind of looking around like, well, we wouldn't. I mean, we don't do this in, with Sunday school teachers. We don't do this with greeters. Well, some we Sunday school teachers do. Yeah, some of them need to rotate <laughs> yeah, yeah, out. Yeah, yeah. But, but I mean, thinking, gosh, that doesn't make any yeah. sense. And we're here, yeah. we're going through this process of having to call people. Would you be willing to serve on the But because every committee was structured in that right. way, they were forced to. Yeah. Exactly. Because there certainly are some groups that need to rotate. I yeah. mean, finance team, personnel, there's some things that need to rotate. Yeah. But ministry was not one of them. I mean, if you're passionate about that and you're doing it well, why would you say, well, you're done. You need to take a year off. Yeah. Um, and so we just said, you know what? There's a lot of these things that we need to change. So we really got rid of all of these committees and we just really put in ministry teams. And so there's still a team that does this, but they don't rotate. They they carry out the mission. Okay, I was gonna say because it sounds like just a, a a terminology shift. Like, well, we're not committees anymore. We're ministry teams. What's really changed in that governance structure? We really tried to make it less about the organization and more about the ministry. Okay, um, what do you mean? I think when you're dealing with a lot of these committees, it's about, oh, I'm serving on this or I'm in this position. So the position. Yeah, and we really wanted to make it about gifting. Okay. Um, what is your What is your gift? What has the Spirit called yeah. you and equipped yeah. you and gifted you to do? What are you passionate about yeah. doing? Because a lot of times, you know, when you get those committees, like we've got to find somebody to fill this spot. Well, filling yeah. a spot and finding somebody passionate couldn't be farther apart. Right. So we were trying to put the emphasis on who's got the giftings of, of service, of being able to connect with people who are at this really important moment of their life. They're going to be baptized. And here... You know, in our structure, I'm, if I'm baptized and I'm, I'm out doing 15 other things on stage and I'm swinging back there to put on the robe and the waders in about five minutes and I don't have really time to sit down with them at that point. Obviously, we've already counseled them ahead of that, yeah, but yeah. I get in there and I'm trying to hurry to make sure we're on time for the actual moment of the service we're bad. But if you can have somebody who just loves people and yeah. sit there and ease their nerves, especially, you know, children or, you know, they can really just talk to them. So we try to find people who are really good at that stuff. Yeah. And that was really helpful. Um, but we try to do that in every ministry area. Yeah. So. And so then that looks a little different, too, in the leadership. Then you guys have more of an elder type leadership. We do. Structure. So another part of our issue is we had a group of deacons who are godly men. Um, but then on top of that, we had what we called a visionary council. Yeah. Um, which consisted of the chairperson of every committee. So if there's a women's committee, like that person people. was on there. Yeah. And then you had to have a quorum to have anything move forward. And they they voted on everything. They voted on everything. And if there wasn't a quorum, then you couldn't get anything decided. And you needed like two thirds. Well, they met Wednesday night. Well, half these people traveled. Yeah. You know, they couldn't come on Wednesday night. They worked late. You could almost never even get a quorum to this thing. And then that decision had to go to the church to be approved by the church after that. So you couldn't do anything. Yeah. You couldn't do anything. Now, but some people would say, now, Pastor, this is accountability. We're, you know, this is sure. this is the right level of accountability. How would you answer 
the question. I because somebody thought it was a great idea when they put it in, right? Somebody thought it was there a great idea. There was reasons idea. that it went in like that. Absolutely. And I think that's a case a lot of times where the pendulum maybe swings too far in another direction. I think there were some issues in the past with maybe a pastor who's going a little rogue on some things. And instead of just— Youth pastor. Uh, always, or worship, one of the two. <laughs> yeah. you know? uh, but I think there's a lot of times when there's a problem, then the church tries to address that problem and they go too far to the other way. Overcorrect. I I see that in hiring pastors too. Yes. You got this pastor over here, they overcorrect to hire the other side. Yeah. This one was really inwardly focused in the discipleship thinking, and this one over here is, you know, never in, always out, you know, coffee shops evangelistic. And, you know, like, hey, no, there's, you know, you really can't separate the two of those things kind of thing. So. Yeah, and I think, I mean, I'm 100% for accountability. Yeah. I recognize that I need accountability. I yeah. want accountability yeah. because if the church is left up to me, we are going to be dead, yeah. dead, yeah. dead. Because yeah. I recognize my own sinful nature yeah. and I have tendencies to want to do things that, you know, that wouldn't be good for me or the church. So I'm grateful for yeah. accountability. But you don't need seven layers of accountability, right? Yeah. If you don't yeah. trust the group that you put in place to hold the pastor accountable, then they shouldn't be the group holding the pastor accountable. Yeah. You, but you don't need seven layers, and you, and the church cannot possibly vote on everything. That that had gone back to, you know, the, the '60s when the church was running 200, right, or 80, or whatever the number was. And you can't run a church that uh, by this point we had grown out of the 350 range into the 600 range, and you just can't operate a church that's running 600 with a 1.5, 1.6 million dollar budget the same way that you operate a church that's running 80. And they were still trying to do a lot of that. And so we just made that shift to elders. I thought it was going to be a big issue. You got, you know, First Baptist Church yeah. making this shift By like this. law change. Always right. But, you know, we just walked through the scripture. I mean, I walked through the scripture with them multiple times. We had multiple listening times where they could come and ask any question, not only about the structure, but about the culture yeah, yeah. piece or the facilities piece. And, uh, you know, people ask great questions. They wanted to know, you know, how we were going to be a congregational church if we had elders. And I, we talked about how the elders were going to be selected by the congregation. And so just little pieces here and there that we were able to just walk them through that. And, and you know, it, it ended up with like a 98% vote to to move all three of those pieces through simultaneously. Yeah. So you, you, you move the vision frame, the, the kind of the language of vision and in disciple making kind of uh, in that way. The facilities, you had to do some updates and upgrades, you know, some things there with that. And then the the bylaws, all three of those things went into place. And how long ago was that? Four years ago, four and a half years ago. Four and a half years ago. And looking back on that, what, you know, kind of hindsight's twenty twenty right now. What would you have done differently or what would you have done the same? If you're talking to another pastor, would you have done them all three at once? Was that a, was that a good move? Uh, I think it was a good move for us. Why? Um, it, it, because we framed it as these are the pieces that we need to move forward as a church. If we're going to get out of where we are and move forward, we need to do all three of these. If we just do two of them, we, it will, it will lessen the value of all of them. Yeah. Taking a three-legged stool and chopping one. Right. Does it, you still can't hold anybody on that. And so we just really framed it that way. We need the vision to understand where God is calling us and how he's calling us to make disciples. We need the leadership, the, the, the structure piece in place in order to make good decisions toward that. And we need the facility piece in order to, you know, house that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 And, and that was really, and really the key moment of that, I just did this man's funeral about a month ago. We had a, a retired pastor who I invited to serve on our team, our vision team. And I remember when we were making one of the presentations to the whole church, you know, he was a kind of a quiet man, kind of an EF Hutton, you know, and when he speaks, people listen, but he doesn't speak too often. Trying to picture where he sat in the room. Yeah, he was an older guy with the glasses. Yeah. Um, Jim was his name. And he was a retired pastor, so he, people in the community knew him. And he didn't really say much uh, in the process or at any of our meetings. And I remember we were making a presentation, and he asked me after I had made it, Pastor, can I say something? Well, by golly, you can. Finally. Yeah. Yeah. So he got up in the microphone, and I'll never forget it. He stood in front of the whole church. And here this guy's in his 70s, and he said, you know, a lot of the things that the pastors talked about here tonight are different than anything I've ever done, and I've been in ministry for 40 years. I've never been in a church that had elders. I've never been in a church that framed their vision like this. I've never been in a church that understood the importance of hospitality. 
But he said, I am absolutely 100% behind this because if we don't do this, we won't achieve what God has forced mm-hmm. to achieve. And he said, I know for some of us, we're going to have to kind of look away and maybe raise our hand and vote for it, even though it may not be exactly what we want to do. He said, but I got grandchildren and children in this church that I want to see deepened in their faith for Christ. Mm. And I believe that this is one of the ways that we can see that happen. And it's, I never had an issue after that. I mean, there were questions, but nothing with any kind of contentious spirit, nothing with any kind of hostility involved. Mm. And it really was huge. So my advice to other guys would be, find you some champions that are well-trusted in the church that have been there a long time, who people say, man, that guy's godly and he loves this church. And if you can build that relationship with him, not in a fake way, you can't go in there and try to manipulate that or, you know, I'm going to befriend this guy so he'll be on my team. But if you can legitimately, because years before that, I had spent time with him. I mean, before this was ever on the table, I, we were we would go to lunch. Before this was ever on the table, we would spend time together just because he was a retired pastor in my church. And I thought, man, I'm going to get some wisdom from this guy. Yeah. And so when, when it came time for him to step up for me, he had no problems doing that. And I didn't ask him to do it. He just yeah. did it because he saw what was going on. And so and he was a part of the conversations. He was, and he had input along the way. Um, so I would say that getting, getting, you know, those team members on your, on your team, not for what you can get them to do for you, but for what they actually can contribute to the yeah. team uh, is so important. And there was a lot of things that came out of that vision framework and all those that, you know, if I would sat in a room by myself, I might have could come up with some of those things, but I'd have come up with a lot of other things that would have been really bad. Yeah. Um, and so I people say, well, you, you know, in the elder structure, do you get everything you want? I was like, absolutely, I do not. <laughs> there are a lot of things that I don't get that in my mind, I think, well, we should do this. Yeah. Um, but you know what, when I look back on almost every one of those decisions or key moments, I'm so glad, glad that other people were speaking into the process because so many of those things are why we've seen some success is because it wasn't my idea. You know, it wasn't my plan. It, God took it a different way and I'm yeah. thankful for that. And I know just over conversation, where you look back now eight years later and you've seen God at work, you've seen God bless the obedience, you've seen God work through those prayer times. As a church, you guys now, I mean, we were talking, you guys gave $100,000 to the lot of $100,000. Which is the, the Southern Baptist Christmas. World Mission Christmas offering. Yeah, World Mission Christmas offering. Yeah. So you guys obviously are in a different place financially now than you were. Uh, yeah, so well, I, that's been huge, really huge for us. Um, obviously, we, we when I got there, we were running less than 400 I think I we had 805 this past Sunday. So yeah. pretty much doubled in my ears there. Um, but again, it's not it's it's not because of me, it's because the people have been inviting yeah. friends yeah. and engaging in the community. And we've turned the emphasis from being inward to being outward. Um, we're getting ready to launch another campus down the road. Um, but the financial piece was, you know, you guys are just just to yeah, not skip over that. You guys emerged with another church. Yeah, another church approached us yeah. about helping them. And as we worked through that process, we determined the best way for us to help them for us for them to close and emerge with us. And then we're back in that facility now doing renovations currently. And we're going to relaunch that thing um, on Palm Sunday. Yeah. And uh, with a, with a, does, it, about did that feel threatening to say, hey, we're going to close you guys down? I mean, how does that, I, are there, are there, have people thrown or lobbed kingdom questions like, hey, why can't that church be its own church? You know, some of those things. You know, and I say, you know what? It can be its own church. I'm not saying it's not going to be its own church at some point in the future. Yeah. Um, I'm completely open to getting them to a healthy place and then evaluating it. And I mean, that was one of the questions our people asked me. It's yeah. like, what, what, tell us about this campus thing. We're not... I mean, that's not a super big deal in Ohio. Yeah, I know in yeah. South that there's everybody doing it. Multi-site. Yeah. It's just not in Ohio. There's just not that many churches doing it. Yeah. Um, and so when I brought it up, there was a lot of questions. And that was one of them. Is what are we going to do? Is this permanent? And and I've always tried to approach the church with, with kind of that open hands mentality. Yeah. I think this is what God's calling us to do today. But you know what? In three years, if he says, let this group go and be their own church, then we'll do that. It doesn't belong to us. We don't own anything. It yeah. all belongs to him. And so, you know, I, I could see a day where they could possibly become mm-hmm. autonomous church yep. again or not. I mean, it yep. just depends. We, we don't know yet. We're not going to, we're just taking it one day at a time, one week at a time. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, back to the finance piece, 
you know, my, like I said, we had $10 million debt on a $1.3 million budget. Still blows my mind. Still can't fathom Yeah. That. And, but I just kept saying, we, we're never going to, because they've been tapped out. The 380 yeah. people there have yeah. been tapped out. They had nothing left to give outside of their tithe. Yeah. Um, they had, you know, sold the boat, whatever else they had yeah. been yeah. encouraged to do. And yeah. so I just kept saying, you know, we're never going to out, out give this debt. We have to outgrow this debt. And we're going to do that by reaching lost people, discipling them, teaching them about generosity. Yeah. And so that's been our focus. It's never been give more, give more, give more. It's been about join us in the mission of reaching the city. Yeah. And when we do that, the giving will fall into place. And it has. We grew the budget every year since I've been there significantly. And uh, so eight years later, we just passed like a almost a $2.1 million budget. So we've grown, what, $800,000, about $100,000 a year. Yeah. In budget giving, and then you know the special offerings like Lottie Moon. I mean, to give a hundred thousand dollars. I think when we when I got there, they gave twenty two or twenty three to that the first year. And that I was there. probably felt super sacrificial at that. It point. did. Yeah. It did. Um, and it has had. You know, I know we've talked about it, but I, I know there's pastors listening that are probably sitting in a similar place, whether they've inherited a bunch of debt or whether they've incurred it. You know, kind of trying to pursue a, a vision through buildings or a vision through, you know, uh, some other, what we would call a lower room, you know, piece of that. And they're going, okay, but how, how did you do that? Did you have like big capital campaigns? Did you have, you know, and you're saying, no, we didn't have capital campaigns. We didn't have, I mean, you may have had we some. Did. Of this, but we did, but you know, I would, I would just say that if the people feel like you're just doing capital campaigns for the sake of capital campaigns, like, yeah nobody wants to give to get out of debt. There's nothing inspiring about right. that. Like, you want me to give extra so that the mortgage can do what? I mean, we're at 10 million. Yeah. You know, like if I give, if like I give $50,000, which most of our people couldn't give 50, but if I give, it barely moves the needle. Yeah. I mean, when you think about yeah. $50,000 on 10 million doesn't move the needle. Yeah. So it didn't give them any hope to when are we actually going to get out of this? So I, I really just took the emphasis off of that. Where did they get the hope from? reaching people man when you're when your baptistry starts to start moving and the water start shaking and people are connecting and they're seeing growth and then when you can stand up like this was a key moment we i, I started man i think man we're reaching a ton of young people young yeah. families and part of the facility piece that we came back about two years on ago and, and fixed again was our children's space because i was able to stand up and say you know out of the 750 people that are here on sunday 52% of them are 18 and under. And I started thinking about that number and I kept saying, this is your children. These are your grandchildren. These are your neighborhood kids that are coming here to hear the gospel. And you know what? People will open up and give to that. They're like, man, I want my children to hear the gospel. I've got neighborhood kids that I love. I want them to hear the gospel. You know, but when you say, hey, we need to get the mortgage down under 9 million, people are like, ah, oh, that's somebody else's problem. I wasn't here when they got into that yeah, mess and yeah. I'll probably be gone before they get out of it. But when you start talking about these are lives, these are souls that are going to spend eternity somewhere. And, and we want to be about reaching them. We want to be about loving families, discipling families. Man, people are like, man, I want to get involved in that. That's a vision that people buy into. So we really just took the emphasis off of getting out of debt and put it on reaching people. And that really was a turning point. And the debt piece is really just taking, taking care of itself because now, you know, we're, we're down under 6 million. I think we're like 5.8 million, which is still way too much. Yeah. But, but 5.8 on a $2.1 million budget feels a whole lot better than 9 <laughs> plus million on a $1.3 million budget. And just roughly how much of that $2 million plus budget now gets spent on ministry? I mean, like, uh, way more than the 3 or 4% before. I mean, it's probably at least in the 20s now. But how do you stay close to what God taught you in that time. I imagine there's still a tendency to go, hey guys, we're not going to spend money just because we got money, right? Oh, no. I mean, this the second campus has been a great opportunity to be reminded of how do we do this with as little investment as possible financially? And not because you're cheap. No, because we don't have it still. Yeah, I yeah, mean, there's yeah. still a lot of things that we don't have because, you know, 40%, 38% of our budget is still tied up in mortgage debt. So, there's still a lot of things we'd like to do that when we pay that off eventually in the next 10 years that we'll be able to do that we can't do now. But I tell you what, the thing that I learned is you is it's still about people. This yeah. is a people thing. It's not a money thing. It's a people thing. And 
when given the opportunity between hiring somebody or getting a volunteer, we're going to get a volunteer. When given the opportunity between training up a greeter or, you know, spending half a million dollars on a re-entry uh, way to the building, I'm going to invest in the people. A sign? Can we right. get a sign? We do need, you know, signage is important. <laughs> but you can do a lot of those things cheap. You've got, to, I think one of the things I learned out of that was, what are, what are some ways that you can spend the least amount of money and get the most impact? Yeah. Um, and then really invest in people. Yeah. Because, you know, you can have the best signage in the world, but if your greeter is a jerk, yeah. it doesn't matter. Yeah. Um, I'd rather have a great greeter than great signage. I mean, you need signage. Yeah. But I'll take average signer, a signage and a great greeter over a great signage and average. Because that great greeter is going to be also every other day of the week in the community. Yes. Serving. In, in, a, in an ambassador for Christ and an ambassador for the church. And a sign is, is and what's a two-hour two investment. Right. And what's better when that family comes to your church, them following a sign or somebody personally walking them yeah. to their space? Yeah. Hey, I'm yeah. so glad you're here. Yeah. I'll take that every time. I can still picture y'all's parking lot. I can still picture the driveways, yeah. uh, where the guest parking was. Was it? Uh, wasn't. Was yeah. it? I think we even talked about, you know, leveraging some banners on light poles in yeah. a pretty cheap way or, yeah. you know, doing some of those things. But I distinctly remember it doesn't cost anything to make a couple calls this week and get somebody out there. Yeah. And, we, and, and that's been a real transforming moment, I think, for the church is to really realize the impact of hospitality towards yeah. uh, the outsider and, and embracing the outsider you know, as somebody that you want to be on yeah. the inside. That Hebrews 13, yeah. one, this is a stranger. Exactly. Right? Hospitality exactly. is love for the stranger. And yeah. Jesus said, I was a stranger and, and you, you took me, me in. Yeah, you you, you me fed in. me. You gave me clothes. So yeah. I think we missed that. So, I mean, unfortunately, I think we missed that. We, you know, we, we do. Insider focus, some of those things. Hey, listen, I love, I love what God is doing at first. I know he's still in the middle of writing the story and we're not planting a flag saying, you know, you've figured it out yet. But I also know that, man, it's encouraging maybe for some to hear there is a way out. Because I think that first year, that first few years you were there, it probably felt like this is, like, you can't turn this around. I mean, you know, this is impossible and nothing's impossible for God. But yeah. This is going to this is going to stretch it. You know, that was a stressful two years. Yeah. I mean, uh, there's still stressful moments, but nothing like what would you constant. say to those guys that are sitting there right now? Stick with it. Uh, stick, with never, stick with stick with what God's planted in your heart. The vision that when you came to that church, however long ago, five years ago, ten years ago, two years ago, when when God called you there, yeah, you know, you probably knew what the problems were. At least, hopefully, you did. But even if you didn't, you know, He called you there, and He knew what they were. And just to say, you know what, I'm going to walk through this, and it's going to get tough, and it might get worse before it gets better. But I'm going to stick it out, and I'm going to I'm going to love these people well. I'm going to lead these people faithfully. I'm going to make some mistakes along the way, and when you do, just own them. Be honest about them. Say, "Hey, I probably shouldn't have done that that way. I'm sorry about that." And you know, if you just love your people, they'll love you back. And and stay focused on the mission of who have you not reached yet. I mean, it's not about the people that are there. It's about the people who aren't there yet. And how can we reach them? And so I'd say just persistence, um, patience. I love what Mark Clifton says when he talks about tactical patience. Yeah. You know, be strategic with your patience. There's a time to pull the trigger and to jump on an opportunity. But most of the time, we're pretty good at jumping on things and not real good at being patient. So sometimes you got to wait some things out. Sometimes you think, man, I wish I could change this. But you just know it's not the right time. It's not the right environment. I need to do a couple other things first. Some things need to fall in place. So just being patient. Um, a lot of times your problems will solve themselves if you just don't throw something on the fire. Right. <laughs> Step uh, out of the way and let God do his work. Right. It's like, yeah. It's like, you know, I don't have to get involved in every situation. So. Well, I love that. And I love, I love the fact that, you know, people can be encouraged and that leaders, you know, uh, I know it sounds easy to say trust in God and, and depend on him. But really, that it doesn't. I mean, that is the answer. It is. It is. I mean, yeah. Hebrews talks about without faith, it's impossible to please God. Yeah. Because first, you must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who earnestly seek after Him. And I think that we forget that sometimes. It's that I, there's nothing that I can do for God if it doesn't involve faith in Him yeah. that pleases Him, and that He rewards faith. Hmm. Um, that He is the, the giver of all good things, and that He will honor faithfulness. 
And I don't say that in any kind of prosperity way, uh, but I, the scripture is just clear about that, that God, God loves your church more than you love your church. I mean, mm-hmm. he died for your church. So you think he's not going to take care of your church? I think we just get so self-focused as leaders sometimes that if I don't do this and I don't do that, it's just walk faithfully. Trust what God can do through you and in you and through the people there. And, you know, then rest in what he's doing or not doing. And if he's not doing something, it's a reason he's not doing something. But if you're prayerful and you're seeking after him, he, he'll show up in ways that you can never imagine. Just let that sit there. <laughs> I think that's it. I think that's, uh, that's the word uh, for somebody right now, for sure. Um, and I, I imagine for a lot of folks. And so thank you for, for sharing that. Hey, listen, I asked three questions to every podcast guest, kind of keep some consistency along the way. Here's the first one. What's one daily or regular habit you practice that keeps you close to the heart of God? Uh, for me, it's just spending some time in the Word every day. What's that look like for you? For me, it's usually when I first thing in the, when I get into the office in the morning because okay. um, I get up early with my kids. I try to get them to school. I'm not an early riser. So, I mean, I could probably discipline myself to do something super early in the morning, but it wouldn't be good time. It wouldn't be my best time with God. It might be my first time, but it wouldn't be my best time. So, oh, so you could definitely give God the first time, but he would not be giving him your I best I would not time. be giving him my best time. That's a, I think that's a, that's, a, that's a huge learning because I think so many people feel guilty that they're not getting up and you know, spending an hour. I felt guilty about that for a long yeah. time because I think somewhere along the way, we got to this first fruits mentality of time. And, yeah. Um, but I, you know, I want to give you my best time. And I, like I said, I could do it early, but man, I'd be thinking about, I got to get the, you know, what time is it? I got to get, because I take my kids to school every morning and yeah. I have a certain routine that I go through and I would be rushing or I would be right. getting, and it just wouldn't be, I'd be just doing it to check it off the list. So I'd feel more godly about myself, right. which is right. not beneficial. So usually the first thing I do when I get in my office is I shut the door um, and I just spend some time in prayer and spend some time in the word. And that's usually my best times before I start my day, before I go answer a bunch of emails or phone calls or schedule meetings. I try to make sure that that's at the top of my list. And it's not my sermon prep time. It's not studying the scripture <laughs> that I'm doing for Sunday. Yeah. Um, usually I try to read through the Bible in a year. So okay. I get on my iPad and where it has the daily readings yeah. And, yeah. and so forth. So I, I was going to ask, was there a habit within that? But it is that daily. It is. one day. It's every, one of Yeah, we're going through, you know, um, the an Old Testament passage, a Psalm or Proverb and a yeah. New Testament passage. And, and I mean, I'm not going to sit here and lie and say I'm 100% consistent and faithful every yeah. single 365 yeah. days. Yeah. Um, but it is a priority for me and, and I try to make that a regular part of my routine. It's great. It's great. If you go back to your first year of pastoral ministry and tell yourself one thing, eight years later, looking back now, what would it be? Um, it would be be more gentle and be more friendly to people who you disagreed with. Okay. Um, I, I, my nature, by nature, I'm more introverted. And so by nature, I, when somebody gets crossways from me, I, I may try to avoid them or, you know, but, you know, I've really learned that it's better just to get out there and be more intentional mm-hmm. about befriending them and being an encourager to people. And I've got a long ways to go on this. So, yeah. I mean, I tend to think that what you struggled with your first year, you're probably still struggling with. Hopefully you've grown in it, but you know, my weaknesses have been my weaknesses since I was born and I'm feeling I'll die and they'll still be weaknesses. (laughs) But what I want to do is I want to give those to God and say, God help me be better at these in ways. And certainly um, being gentle with people, not jumping to conclusions with people or assuming the worst about people. Yeah. Um, How do you shift that from assuming the worst to assuming better? I I think about my own self. (laughs) I think about my own weaknesses and that what would I not want people to assume about me? Um, you know, a lot, because I'm an introvert, it can, I can come across not right. as friendly as I, as my heart is. Um, and so I just say, you know what, I'm going to assume the best. I'm going to assume that they didn't really mean to say that, or they really mean to do that, or they did, they meant, they meant well with that. And so I think just trying to see the best in people versus assume the worst about people. Yeah. Seems like that takes a lot of self-confidence or self-awareness. Self-awareness, yeah. which that's an area that I think I'm, I'm growing in still, and I think a lot of us are. But I think that's really one of the keys to leadership is learning to be self-aware and then learning to lead yourself. 
Yeah. Say, you know what? I'm not very good at this. And so either I need to hire to this strength or this weakness, somebody's strength, or I can't hire to this. So I got to get better at it. Got immediately. To got to yeah. I got to do better at this. It's great. Hey, is there one book you consistently recommend or give as a gift? Uh, it depends on the crowd, but I mean, to young pastors, I always give Piper's book, Brothers Who Are Not Professionals. Okay. Um, just because I love, and I need, and I write, I read it back from time to time. Yeah, so yeah. I need to be reminded. Yeah. Um, just that it's not about all of the external growth models and pragmatism and all those things, but this is not a profession. This is a calling. And, and when I remind myself of that, it reminds me of whose I am and whose yeah. the church is God's. And it's not a profession. It is a, it's a life. So, so that's other young pastors. What do you give to congregation members? What do you give to your people? Well, I give out books at our membership class. Okay. Uh, so I give out The Treasure Principle by Randy okay. Alcorn, yeah. which I love uh, yeah. in terms of generosity. Yeah. Uh, I give out uh, Tom Rainer's book, I Am a Church Member. Tom uh, Rainer, I'm not Yeah, do you know of him? He yeah. might pay, pay your bills. Yeah. Uh, but <laughs> yeah, no, he's got a great book on church membership. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I give out to all of our new members. Uh, just encourage them to be a great church yeah. member. Um, so things like that, I like to, like to pass out. People. Great. Well, Chad, thanks for being a part of my ministry breakthrough. I appreciate you sharing a couple of those key moments, those breakthrough moments uh, in your story. And look forward to seeing what God is going to continue to do. And it's been great to be with you, Brian. Thank you for listening to My Ministry Breakthrough from the Oxano Podcast Network. You can head over to myministrybreakthrough.com to join the conversation and access our show notes, including the books or other resources mentioned in this episode. If you enjoy hearing these stories of ministry breakthrough, we would be honored if you would subscribe, rate, and even leave a review on iTunes or your preferred podcast provider. Thanks again for listening.